Detroit and the world. Welcome to another episode of Authentically Detroit, broadcasting live from the Lower East Side here in the city, powered by the East Side Community Network and sponsored by none other than the Four Foundation, a content partner to BridgeDetroit.com. I'm Orlando Bailey. And I'm Donna Givens-Davidson. Thank you for listening in and supporting our efforts to build a platform of authentic voices for real people on the east side of Detroit. We want you to like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast on all platforms. We drop a new episode almost every week, so turn on those notifications. Continuing our candidate series here on the show where we interview folks who are running for city council in District 4, Devon Reader is a lifelong Detroiter and Eastsider. He is a nonprofit professional, Army veteran, and a graduate of Frederick Douglass High School and then Eastern Michigan University. Devon, welcome to Authentically Detroit. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Literally, this was one of the interviews I've been looking forward to having and uh, being a part of. So thank you for having me. We're happy to have you. Hopefully you still say that after the interview is over. <laughs> check in how is everybody doing how does this blessed and rainy day find each of you it's a long one and uh but i'll tell you what um ecn is starting to trickle back into a physical workplace and i have co-workers and colleagues and i see people who i work with you know every day um and i actually don't always work from home so it's kind of enjoyable for me i'm, I'm really enjoying feeling like my world is opening back up how about Love you all? I'm doing I'm doing well. Uh, there is there's so much going on, especially just being in the business of news. There's always something to talk about. There's always a story to tell. There's always something to follow up on. Um, and so that that is cool. But if you aren't careful, careful, you will run yourself into a wall. So you have to I'm finding out that I have to be even more intentional, especially as we come back to real life into not over scheduling myself because I'm excited to see people. I'm excited to hug folks. Uh, I know that our listeners know that I get to see Donna now on a regular basis. And it's still exciting being able to see her and hug her. Uh, and I wanna see everybody, I'm ready to see everybody, but in time. And so I'm, I'm pacing, I'm learning to pace myself and still you know, have time for a personal life, a romantic life, all of the things. So. It's been so terrible. I feel like the worst wife in the world. In April, in May, late April, May, we applied for all this funding and it was so much stress, but you know, they say April flowers, showers bring light flowers and the flowers are blooming in June. We have so many things that we were actually awarded and um, every time it's a surprise for me. So that's super exciting. And also there's a lot of stress because you have to get it right. And that's yeah. where I really know we have to lean on the ECN staff team to you know, make everything grow as it should. So it's a lot. Yeah. Devon, how you doing? I'm doing good. I think I'm also in the same mind space with this campaign, with getting a chance to meet all my neighbors and uh, just trying to make sure I put my mental first because if I'm not okay, I can't make sure everybody else is okay, right? But just being able to get out and enjoy the nice weather as well because these not last few days have been great. Just being able to walk around and not worry about rain, but I guess we need a little cooling down after those after this weekend. So yeah, <laughs> it's it's been fun. All right, guys, it's time for fresh off the press news that we are thinking about 
If you have pieces that you want discussed on Authentically Detroit, you can hit us up on our socials at Authentically Detroit on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at authenticallydetroit at gmail.com. Donna, fresh off the press. Um, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Why the revision of Detroit? I'm sorry. I just clicked off. Why the revision of Detroit City Charter is so contentious? And that is Louis Aguilar reporting for Bridge Detroit. Um, so the charter has a charter proposed charter revision went to the governor. The governor um, first went to the attorney general who identified a number of legal flaws as she saw it. It went to the city and the mayor said it was going to cost way too much and it was going to bankrupt the city again. The governor on the mayor's logic and on um, the attorney general's logic to some extent um, said, I can't approve this. And so she sent it back with comments. The Charter Revision Commission responded with um, some revisions that she did not review. Meanwhile, there was this big question of whether it could go on the city charter. Um, first, on the, on the I'm sorry, on the ballot, thank you. On the ballot, first, um, um, Janice Winfrey said it could not go on the ballot. Then she said it could. Um, the Attorney General Dana Nessel said all along that it could go on the ballot. Um, so then the Wayne County Election Commission voted. And when they voted, they agreed two to one to let it go on the ballot. And despite the fact that um, Mary Sheffield uh, is a strong supporter of the city charter, her father, Horace Sheffield, was one of the people who um, filed a lawsuit to take it off the ballot again. And can we talk about that? I'm, I'm, can we, can we just pause right there for a second and spend some time there? What in the world is that about? The Reverend Horace Sheffield filing suit. <laughs> I, how does that happen? How does something like that happen? And is he on record anywhere saying why? Has anybody asked him? Is anybody I, talking about he, he, his point is, and you know, I think that there's a lot of people. I think. One of the things he was on record saying is that Mayor Duggan won't be uh, mayor forever. And when there's a mayor that he likes, he wants that mayor to have lots of power. That's my interpretation of what he was saying. And, um, you know, I, I, I have no doubt because I've heard it directly from him that he's hoping that his daughter become mayor. But the city charter does a number of things, one of which is take aim at the strong mayor form of government and say, let's figure out a way to empower the citizens and take away some of the mayor's power as well as threading through all of that, a lot of social justice reforms, a lot of reforms that are really centering the city business on people through the creation of a bunch of commissions that people get to choose. Now we have a whole lot of authorities that um, the mayor and city council appoint and whatever, but this would really empower people to make decisions, even within the, um, the, the master plan for the city, giving the, um, the the planning commission authority over the planning process and the master plan and taking that from the mayor will completely restructure how things are done in the city. So um, the Citizens Research Council, um, which Orlando is a board member of and- um, Disclaimer. <laughs> uh, but you know, listen, they did an independent analysis because what the mayor says is this is going to bankrupt the city. The Charter Revision Commission said, no, it won't. They looked at it and they acknowledged that, first of all, there was that major um, break from the past. And they said that this um, charter creates 120 newly appointed, uh, newly elected or appointed positions in city government. Now, 
most of those 120 um, positions are not paid positions. Most of them are commissioned staff positions, I believe. I'm gonna have to look back, um, back but basically um, many of the new positions would be part of commissions that would work. And I don't think those are um, going to be paid for. There's some areas where the city is saying it's gonna bankrupt the city. For example, the moratorium on water shutoffs, which is interesting because there's already a moratorium and the mayor is saying the moratorium is going to extend through the end of 2022. And the question is whether his analysts have decided that extending it beyond 2022 would bankrupt the city and whether mm -hmm. this is just an election um, position to take when you're in the midst of campaign season. Um, because if not, then it seems like he would agree on that, but also to improve public broadband action, access. And the way a lot of people are interpreting this is that the charter would require um, the city council to create free broadband, but it's really to create a, a, an effort to figure out how to provide free broadband. And some of that could be done with public and private dollars. It doesn't have to be um, that. So anyway, um, there's a major police change. Um, according to this article, um, it doesn't use the term defund the police, but I don't even think that this charter provision is about defunding the police. I think it is about restructuring power within the police department, ending qualified immunity and creating more public databases for um, you know, police misconduct and more transparency for the mm -hmm. city council and mayor. And the only expensive thing is really the annual psychological exam for officers, which again, the um, city has said is going to be astronomically expensive and city council disagrees. So it's hot, um, according to the um, Citizens Research Council, the fiscal impact is somewhere between the mayor's $488 million a year and the city charter commission's $7 million a year. There's a whole lot of distance between that. And then of course you have the possibility that some of these mandates will be challenged in court and um, some of them just are not feasible based on current law in some people's eyes. So it's not as though you'd have to pay $488 million in the first year. Right. Uh, so anyway, this, this is the, the argument, the crux of the argument, the reason the mayor's fighting is so hard and um, Horace Sheffield has either been bought or persuaded to also fight it is because it minimizes the power of the mayor. Um, you know, in some ways, if you could have people saying, you know what, let's vote for the current mayor, and it looks like he's winning, at least in some polls. But if you also voted for this revised city charter, the current mayor would be reelected and have his power curbed, not by um, persuasion, but by the, the constitution for the city of Detroit. Mm. Yeah, so it's it's. I think it's gonna be interesting because uh, we still don't know, as of right now, uh, the charter revision is on the ballot, but the Supreme Court, the state Supreme Court has yet to weigh in. So uh, we're waiting to hear uh, what decision they will render. And that will be uh, the decision that, that sticks. Um, it really is to me, and I have been saying this, this is a story uh, about uh, the the trivialization and minim the minimizing of a democratic process, regardless of what is in the charter, it was done in a democratic way. Donna, you remember those meetings 
We went to some of them. We, we didn't go to a whole lot of them, right? But those meetings were happening regularly and we were able to tune in. If we weren't there in person, we were able to tune in online. And the fact that uh, there are players within the city, within uh, this structure that wants to suppress the vote of black folks to be able to vote on their city charter is asinine and insulting to me. It really is. I am waiting for uh, the voter suppression story of this because whether it is a white person that's trying to do this or if the offense is by somebody who looks like me, white supremacy knows no colors, especially when we have internalized it to the degree where we feel like it is okay to file suit, to take away once again, the democratic power of the traitors, most of whom are black. Why and, is that okay? And it's, this is not the first time, but I have this to say also, and this is something that I challenge our leaders, our future leaders on. We spend so much time tearing each other to pieces, name calling, spreading rumors, attacking legitimacy, of each other that we forget to get to the business of the people. This yes. process would have been a better process if we had not spent so much time um, playing the dozens on city, you know, business. On the city charter. It, it, well, I mean, you know, on the city charter, but I'm saying, or the public dime. Nobody has time for that. You don't have to like a person, but you have to stay focused on the issues. And I see this coming up in other conversations where we wanna call people out, call them names. And it is as if the biggest problem with racism is each other. And the biggest problem with racism is bad personalities and that structural and institutional issue. We would have been so much further ahead had we started negotiating on these things, you know, a year ago. And then been working towards more public, you know, discussion, more public disclosure. People just got turned off and walked away and some people never came back and you can blame them. That's what people do. Well, that's on them. If they cared about this city, but the reality is when you put people down and you blame people, it doesn't fix the problem. That's right. In a yeah. We have got to make sure that when we accept leadership positions, that we work for the people and we don't make it about, they have to level up to us. We've got to make sure that we're making ourselves accessible and welcoming to them. I love it. That is, uh -huh. go ahead, Devon, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I think that you guys hit right on the point. It's really a challenge of like democracy. Like, is our democracy right now really, is our democratic process really a democracy? Because this back and forth about putting on the ballot and letting the citizens vote is, I just think it's unnecessary. And there's so much time and energy consuming that we could be putting that into other categories and other places that we need that energy to be placed in. So I, I completely agree with you guys on that point for sure. Yeah. I stand behind the, the charter revisions. I think it, they make sense. I think if there are legal issues with it, they'll get resolved in court. We don't have to worry about no, they're it. They're resolved, right. If, they're, if it's illegal, it can't happen. It, it happens all the time. I mean, we've had charter provisions, um, you know, neutralized by the courts because the court has said in the past, this is not the first time. Right. So a lot of this is silly. Um, if it looks like bankruptcy, obviously somebody can sue and say, wait a minute, this mandate is too expensive. But the heart and soul of the charter, the intent of the charter should not get lost in the sauce. And I do want to um, say hats off to Nancy Kaffer for pointing that out, that let's She's not forget the aims of what the charter is, and let's not let that get lost in all of this debate. Yes. And you know what? 
I can see the difference in this new Supreme Court. We have a democratically controlled Supreme Court, and that's a different Supreme Court. We don't look at those judgeship elections as being that important. But imagine if we had a different Supreme Court, a Republican Supreme Court that was always trying to divest power from us and always agreed to that, sitting there in, um, you know, in, in control over this issue. So I'm, I'm not sure how they're going to rule. I appreciate the fact that they twice reversed the appeals court and the lower courts. Fresh off the press, moratorium on evictions could expire June 30th. Here's how to get help. This is Nushrat Rahman reporting for Bridge Detroit in partnership with the Detroit Free Press. So the uh, Centers for D Disease Control has placed in a moratorium on um, evictions, right? Especially in the wake of COVID and people being unable to uh, pay their rent. Right now, as it stands, the order is expected to last through June 30th. What we wanna do is uh, encourage all of our listeners uh, to number one, go to the uh, CDC website and get a signed declaration from there to your landlord. Uh, so that they, if they try to evict you before June 30th, that lets them know that it is illegal. So you can go to cdc.gov forward slash coronavirus to get such documentation. The other piece is if you're not going to have the money to pay rent after assuming that the moratorium is lifted and there are people who are fighting to extend it, but let's assume that it's not extended, there is some help that you can access. Uh, the SARA program, the COVID Emergency Rental Assistance Program can help renters with past due rent and utilities for up to 12 months, everybody. And then an additional three months for future rent, according to the US Department of Treasury. Both renters and landlords are eligible to apply. The program can help renters uh, with incomes less than 80% of the area median income. So that is uh, the majority of the city of Detroit um, in Wayne County, that equates to one person, a one person household income of about $44,000 and so on and so forth. And so uh, you would just have to, as you've done before, present uh, documentation and evidence of COVID hardship. And you can apply, please everybody, because there is no word yet if this moratorium will be extended. Please, if you are behind on your rent and you need help and you need assistance, go to www.michigan.gov forward slash Sarah. That's forward slash C-E-R-A to find the application portal. Tenants and landlords can also apply through a local service agency if they can apply online. And we will post uh, that link to see those agencies on the description of this episode. So there is help. Don't lose hope that that moratorium is ending. I'm sorry. I just I wanted to say uh, to say that Wayne Metro, there it's a local agency and they are on top of it. Like they are getting people help, like calling back the next day. So if you really do need that help, like reach out to them, and it's a really easy application to do online, and they will get right back to you and. Make sure you don't get your, your uh, electricity cut off or call your landlord and all, all of that, the ex, going the extra mile and everything. So reach out to them for sure. And I just wanted to say also, um, if you can't pay, pay. This program is for people who cannot afford to pay their rent. Thank you, Donna. There are still people losing their homes because they cannot document the lack of ability to lose their home. 
this was never for everybody. This is for a targeted group of people. And I, I hope you're listening. And when this moratorium ends, if you have, if you're not acting in good faith with your landlord, you may face troubles. And I don't want to see people losing their homes at the end of the moratorium or if this, you know, court decision is reversed. This is said in love. Please pay if you can. If you can't, you get the help that you need um, because I don't believe this moratorium um, protects mm -hmm. everybody. Mm -hmm. You want to know something, and I think this is something that I think uh, that needs to be demystified as well, uh, citing that I know many landlords. Landlords aren't swimming in cash. I, I think we have this assumption that most landlords have an amazing cash flow and can afford for you for lengthy periods of time not to pay rent. Those obligations still um, you know, have to be met. So I think, you know, for the small mom and pop landlord, and that's that's the majority of landlords in our city, uh, they're also strapped, right? And so there is, uh, there actually to this issue, there is a both sides. And so I, I, I want to submit what Donna is saying, if you can, re if you can actually pay, pay your rent. They're going through the same pandemic you are. <laughs> you got to definitely pay. <laughs> and you know, there's a real concern about the net loss of affordable housing um, because at the end of the day, if a landlord cannot maintain that affordable home, that home is lost to um, the renter as well as to the landlord. Um, so power to the people, but sometimes the people are your landlord and um, it's we're all in this together to some extent. Yes, the link will be available in the description of this episode, but I am going to say it again. Go to www.michigan.gov forward slash Sarah, that's C-E-R-A, to uh, access the application. If you need help um, with, if you don't have access to the internet, if you need help with it, uh, I'm sure someone at Eastside Community Network will be happy to help you with that. You can call 313-571-2800 to get some help with that. Donna, fresh off the press, we got one more, one more little thing to talk about. <laughs> well, um, the Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick has moved back to Detroit. He is um, going to get married, although a date has not been set, and he is um, leaving politics for the clergy. So he has two trial sermons this weekend on Sunday at 8.30, I think it's at Greater Emmanuel, and at 10.30, it's at Little Rock. Um, he um, you know, spoke quite eloquently with that deadline um, Detroit, and he also um, was quoted by somebody, I guess, who he spoke to at Deadline Detroit on um, ML Elric's um, podcast, The Soul of Detroit, and his, his wife wrote about this in the free press, so that's kind of interesting that um, considering their previous relationships, that's how that went, but um, listen, uh, it's a story of redemption, and Detroiters love a good story of redemption, and uh, many, many, many Detroiters love Kwame Kilpatrick, even those who agree he did some things wrong. So I imagine that he will be quite successful. In Reverend Kilpatrick, Kilpatrick, the Reverend Doctor. <laughs> if you read any of his statements, this man has a silver tongue. So it's, it's oh, good. he always had. He always oh. has. And now you know you put some some faith behind it. And, oh my goodness! I and I wish him well. Listen, I believe. We, we love a redemption story and we don't throw our people away. And so um, I think it'll be interesting. Um, 
other people have rolled out the welcome mat. Actually, Mayor Duggan rolled out the welcome mat when he was questioned and said, I believe he's sincere. And then he said something that was quite intriguing. He says, I believe he'll announce some other things in the future. So um, it'll be interesting to see what other announcements um, are coming our way. I, I want to be uh, a saint on the pew listening to Reverend Kwame Kilpatrick uh, exegete a text, okay? <laughs> <What I'm making laughs> it's, online. it's online. It's going to be a pre-recorded message at 8.30. I think he might actually be physically at Little Rock because they only talk about pre-recorded at 8.30. We'll have to see. Um, but All yes, right. you, you'll be able to download it. I'm sure it'll be a YouTube sensation if it's... <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to see what he has to say. He always amazed me when he speaks. I'm excited about that. And like, it's a good thing. Yeah, it's a good thing that to see that he's actually trying to put that behind him. Yeah. You know, I always say like Kwame Kilpatrick was the first politician that I, uh, that reflected to me where I came from. He, you know, as a young child, I was captivated. I wasn't super young, uh, junior high in high school, but as a kid, I was I was captivated by him. He sounded like one of my homies, right? And uh, but so just so very smart and so very talented. So uh, hopefully, uh, his integrity would keep him um, as a man of the cloth. All right, the same Reverend Kilpatrick. That wraps up our fresh off the press segment. If you have pieces that you want discussed on Authentically Detroit, you can hit us up on our socials at. Authentically Detroit on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at authenticallydetroit at gmail.com. Devon, you're here and you're running here. <laughs> an ambitious campaign for the District 4 seat on City Council and we're excited to talk to you. Uh, Donna and I are probably going to seesaw some of the questions here, but we want to hear from you first off. Why are you running for City Council? You know, I'm running for, there's a lot of reasons, but as a son of Detroit and as somebody who's been um, poured into from like literally our school system to our community organizations and to just my neighbors, I, I felt like I came home after serving the military and I was seeing so much change happen and it wasn't happening for Detroiters. And I, and I was, I just was so appalled by like how it was how people were going about it. It was literally like in our face. It was like, we're not gonna hide it or anything. We are literally redeveloping Detroit for outsiders to come in and take over our city. And I, I decided that it was time for me to make a return on the investment that my community like poured into me and made into me. So I, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this and I'm going to run for my district, my neighborhood. And, you know, I spent some time as a school teacher. And often I would tell my students, like, when you leave, you have to come back. Like, you have to come back and help change your city. And it was like, one of my students like, for what? It's nothing here. And I'm like, we got to change that. We got to have a home that our, our youth and our kids will be willing to be like, I'm a Detroiter. I'm proud to be a D Detroiter. So that's like kind of my, my motivation and my goal, even even like in everything I do is always like, how can I make our city better for our youth? How can I do something that represents Detroiters? You know, I, I feel the same way. Um, when I um, came back to Detroit, of course, that was many years ago, but Detroit has been in trouble in many ways for some time. Um, I felt the same way. So when I got back, I started working for somebody and I worked in the community, rolled up my sleeves, got my hands a little dirty and got to know some people and worked under the tutelage of people who had sort of done this before. 
So, you know, we can't all come back, even if young people come back, we can't all come back to city council. So my question for you, and it's a serious question, and this is a question people my age and in general have of millennials and generation Xers or Zers. Z. Um, Z, yeah, let me get my alphabet right. Um, <laughs> it's like, when you come back, and, and, and you know, honestly, it's really hard to find in organizations like ECN, it's really hard to find black men to work inside of our organizations. When you come back, why not consider working for somebody before you run for city council and getting your hands a little dirty? Uh -huh. So I, I came back, when I came back, I was a school teacher first. I started doing, um, I did nonprofit work while I was in undergrad. And I, I did, I did mentoring and kind of like community work when I, when I was in undergrad for Detroit. Like, so my, my nonprofit, we were based out of Eastern Michigan. We would travel on the weekends and um, during the school days, like on Friday mornings and mentor here in Detroit. So we mentored at four different high schools. And then we got those high schoolers to start mentoring middle school. So I started doing grassroots stuff. I, uh, I came back and I worked for two nonprofits. I worked for UNI and I worked for the union over uh, on the West side. And it's just, I know that in order to make effective change, you have to, one, you have to have organization and you have to do that with policy. And the way that I wanted to make change and, and the way that change looked for me was through policy. Uh, I worked a little bit in the 13th district in the Michigan Democratic Party, but it's just the, the representation from this district and from the far east side was just not adequate enough for me. It wasn't any intentional advocacy. It wasn't like somebody was coming and knock on my door and say, what are your problems? It was only, hey, it's election time. Can I get your support? And I'm like, we need more than that. We need a real Detroiter who's been here, who's, who's been through our problems, who, who faced the problems, who understand it. And like, 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 like Orlando said, somebody who sounds like me, who looks like me, and understand that I know and I can trust that they're going to take care of the problem. They're going to have my best interest at heart. So that's kind of why I couldn't, I guess, took this big leap and saying like, it is time. And I, I've been groomed by my neighbors to do this. I've been groomed by my community to do this. <laughs> what, do you, what, do, what is your answer for uh, folks who say that this, this campaign is uh, a little preemptive given um, just how, how young you are, um, you have some experience, but really haven't paid your dues. What do, what, what do you say to that? Um, pay my dues. I, I don't know if I really haven't paid my dues. I spent seven years in the army. I, I, I dedicated myself to coming back and developing my city. I currently work literally nonstop. Like my life has been service. So, um, I guess I haven't took the traditional route to politics and I often question like we looking at our traditional politicians and how they're not leading our city. Do you really want another traditional politician politician? Um, and my youth offers innovation and the ability that I can understand the problems that we need to face. And I'm able to be humble enough to be like, okay, I don't know it all. Let me learn. And then at the same time, I'm, I'm able to look at things from a different perspective and provide a new way of attacking our problems and providing our solution. And again, I say all the time, who better to represent our community than somebody from our community? Yeah. We, invite people, well, we inviting people in 
and they say like I've been here for a certain amount of years. No, I lived here. I was born and raised here. I'm I'm rooted here. If you if you like go through my history, it's Detroit. It's East Side. It's not I moved here. My family, none of that. I'm a East Side. There's a quite a few, at least a couple others, um, who are running in District Four who are also from the community and rooted there. So I certainly think that having a rooted person is great. Um, you first came to public attention after a tweet. <laughs> You call out your stepfather and really just made a point of I made it, you know, and that, that was a great tweet. It went viral. I don't know if you expected it to go viral. I don't know if people who do viral tweets have this anticipation, but can you talk about that for a minute and what that meant for you? Uh, I like to always start off by saying I learned, I learned what reporter or journalism spin is through that tweet because everybody took it as me. As, as, as I was bashing him. And that was not it. It was more so because I understand me not having my father in my life. He was my father figure. So like we would, I can remember us watching wrestling together and we acting like we the wrestlers on TV. Can and it was- tell, more, you tell us what the tweet was so people aren't lost and before you- Oh finish. yeah, so once I graduated, um, I had tweeted out uh, four years later, my stepdad told me I was never, I wasn't going to graduate from college. Four years later, I'm here and he's in jail. And it was more so because you don't know the words that you say. We had thousands of conversations and those words was the only words that I thought about that day. And I'm like, I just want to share it out because the smallest moments may be the biggest impact. And, you know, the funny thing is people ask all the time, what did he say when you've seen him? He, my, my, uh, one of my friends actually blew the tweet up and I had it in my house. And when he came home, he looked at it and looked at me and he was like, that's a nice picture. And we laughed about it. And he's like, he like, I, you know, I didn't mean it like that. Right. And I, and I hugged him. I'm like, yeah, I know you didn't mean it like that. And I didn't mean it like that. He was like, okay, cool. And we, we were fine. So he knew it wasn't like that, but it was a, it was a good moment. I got a, it really, it really opened me up to so many opportunities. I got a chance to go on like what I call a little tour and I was talking to different high schoolers and I met so many different youth and so many kids that's like, dude, you don't understand. Like my, my family told me the same thing. My people told me the same thing. And I'm like, well, you know what you gotta do next? Like just, just simple as that. And it's just like, it was so eye-opening. It was a, it was a great experience for sure. I, I, I didn't expect to go viral, but I'm happy it, I did go viral because I was able to just, meet so many youth and connect to so many people from that one tweet. Uh, on your website, you've highlighted four key areas you want to focus on. They are equitable housing, workforce and economy, public safety and environmental and climate justice. Mm -hmm. First off, how did you land on these four tenants uh, and tell us what you want to do in those areas? I, my neighbors told me, simple as that. Uh, it, this didn't come about when I wanted to start running for office. I had these things in my mind forever. Like when I would come home and I would like take one of my, my mentees home and I would talk to his mom and she'll get the complaining like, hey, this lot has had these tires and this trash over here for so long and the city won't do anything or nobody won't come and cut this grass. We will come out and cut that grass or we'll go clean up that lot. So these are not just points that I came up with by myself. These are points that uh, after talking to my neighbors and working with my team, we developed these points. And like, these are four things that we can tackle right now that, that are doable, that, that they're, they're achievable, like they're realistic goals. And, um, so what workforce and economy, I, I, I have a plan 
to invest more in our, our small owned businesses and our minority owned businesses. Because I feel like our homegrown businesses, they they reinvest the dollar back in the community. And that's what we need right now. Like we looking for outside companies and big factories and things to come in our city and help uh, help us recover from losses when really all we just need to do is look from within. We have businesses that are, are flourishing and they are not leaving. They're staying here and reinvesting their money in the community. When it comes to housing, like Detroiters should have the opportunity to own homes. It's just, it, that's just point blank, period. It, it, and I just think the process in which, and I, I mainly want to talk about the Detroit Land Bank. The process is so, one is confusing, and is not accessible to the average Detroiter. And then the rehab process is just ridiculous. Six months to repair some of these homes, it's just, it's not achievable. So let's go back. You, go ahead, Donna. I, you you said you want uh, Detroiters to be able to have access, to be able to own a home. What, what, what kind of mechanism would you support or put in place to make sure that whomever, in the city of Detroit wants to own a home, can't own a home? I think we need to make, uh, I, I like the structure of the Detroit Land Bank. I think some, it needs to be revamped. I, I know that we need to, we need to make sure that it's more accessible for Detroiters. Um, I also think that some of these homes can be given away. Like we don't need to be holding on to these homes. Let Detroit, if a Detroiter can, can promise to renovate and upkeep that home, and, and make sure the neighborhoods are looking clean and nice. Like, let's give that home away. Let's do some type of land contract, something where they paid off in years. Um, educating, I think education is a big thing because a lot of a lot of Detroiters don't know that they, how to be a homeowner or the process to be a homeowner. So introducing initiatives where we educate Detroiters on that this is the route you need to take to be a homeowner, and this is what it looks like to be a successful homeowner because we don't want to give these homes away and then in a few more years, they lose it because they don't know how to make how to maintenance what the maintenance of being a homeowner looks like. So, you know, when you talk about equitable housing, um, economy, public safety, and environment, and then you say you have a policy focus, you are speaking my language. I mean, that that gets me excited. That's what I talk about all of the time. And not that many people running for council, I think, have centered um, the environment and climate as as, as goals. And I think that does. Um, largely stem from the fact that you are a younger candidate. Younger people are a whole lot more serious about the climate than um, people who, you know, will not live to see probably the impact of all of the destruction. So I think that that's interesting. But can you be specific about policy plans? And we don't have time for you to go through a laundry list. So just list two policy priorities that you would champion at the city council table and how you would move those through city council? Um, one, I would, when it comes to environmental and climate justice, uh, affordable affordable water. So I believe that we should have a income base rate. We, we, we need to have it where it caps off at this amount for a certain income for water. Um, I, I'm just an advocate for making sure that Detroiters have basic necessities. So I think that's something I will, I will introduce policy that we can make sure that um, water is affordable. Is, when it is comes, affordable water climate justice though? Environment, affordable and clean water? Yeah. I think it is. I think our water right now is not clean and affordable. So I, I guess I should have put more emphasis on that, but clean and affordable water. 
Um, and then public safety, I think that we need to address our illegal dumpings, with also, which also can be considered uh, environmental and climate justice. Uh, so the illegal dumpings and us not having uh, street lights and a recreation center. I want to, all those in, are included in my public safety plan. What policies, just name two specific policies that you would use and just briefly summarize how city, how you get city council members to adopt it. So my policy will be to, uh, I, I guess, put a cap on work. So not, I guess, I know to put a cap on water, right? If we put that that limit and we we work with our water our water department, simple as that. Legislation to 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 make sure that we're being advocates for the citizens and getting the other city council members involved. I think we need to remember, like you said, uh, we are representing our citizens, and we need to have our best interests at heart. The best interests of our citizens at heart. So I don't think that'll be a hard thing to to get people to join on. That's the simple thing that I that is possible, is achievable. Other, other states are doing the same thing. And- um, what, what do you envision, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. What do you envision the role of city council is um, a, a, as a body, right? I think right now we have um, a city council that um, is you know, largely and sometimes disappointingly very supportive of the mayor and all of his initiatives and not really providing that balance of power that's, that the legislative branch is supposed to provide to the executive, the executive branch. How do you see the role of city council in a strong mayor city like Detroit? Um, I, I know that the role of city council one is to create policy and legislate, simple as that. And uh, relationships should not get in the way of your constituents' well-being and what the voice of the people is. So if my, and that's what I'm promising, my, my actions will reflect the voice of the people regardless of who I'm okay with, who I'm friends with, and I will provide a check and balance. If the mayor is stepping out of line, we need to say something. We need to, to be that squeaky wheel and say, hey, you need to stop doing this. Like we need to address what's, what's the problem. And that's, that's city council. That's what, I, that's what I promise to be as city councilman. Yeah. I'll be the check and balance and I'll be the voice of the people creating a legacy legislative and policies for our citizens. So, you know, some of these are longstanding fights. Affordable water was a fight when, um, when Joanne Watson was on city council and actually when uh, Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick was mayor, um, she had to fight in order to put that on the ballot. They, there was an ordinance adopted for affordable water. I think I have that right. Um, and, you know, we still don't have water affordability. Um, these are not new issues, some of them, right? Some people have been fighting this big fight. I remember when Marianne Mahaffey was at the table. I remember when Irma Henderson was at the table saying affordable <laughs> housing. So I guess my question is, um, you, you, you want to bring something new, but what are you going to learn from? How do you interact with people who have been at this um, for a minute? Um, how do you learn from them and, and take the baton and move these issues forward? I think it goes to being consistent and showing that you are genuine with your approach, right? What, I, I know that I have a lot to learn about a lot of things because I don't know everything. Nobody knows everything. However, I'm willing to go ahead and build these relationships and get the citizens involved, get these grassroots organizations involved, and we can attack these problems together 
And I know that there's going to be times where we fail, but th- these failures can be learning lessons. And I've been, I've been trying to approach this as a way of creating a united front. So and it's, it's obvious that we spend so much time, we already talked about it. We spend so much time arguing with each other and, and side, side remarks and things like that where we forget that we have a goal to accomplish. So that's, that's not even my personality. I'm about progress. I'm about, we may wrestle and tussle in the background, but at the end of the day, when we on the stage, we know what, the, what we're trying to achieve, whether that is affordable housing or environmental justice. We know what the goal is at hand. Do you have a legislative policy agenda for the Michigan legislature? Um, what should Lansing be working on to benefit Detroiters and how will you expand political capital to push policy forward in the Michigan legislature if you are elected? Um, I don't have a official plan, but I know that right now what we need to be working on is putting the, the priority in the health of Detroiters first. I think if we do that, that will that will achieve a lot of our goals from the way our policing, uh, from the policing practices to us not having uh, street lights, to us not having clean waters in our school system, to us being overassessed on our property taxes. If we put the health and uh, the, the, if we put important, the important, like we dedicate ourselves to the citizens' health in Detroit, we can tackle all our problems really. I think at this moment that we're so worried about income and revenue and, and getting the next dollar, then we're, we're forgetting that we actually have people's lives in our hands. All right. Um, so um, I, I'm going to have to, unfortunately, um, leave at 6.05. I just want to give you that warning so that we can time our questions appropriately. Orlando can stay a little bit later. Um, but I do want to talk about um, how a few things like um, that like how your website says that you want to create a business hub in the district where so i don't want to i don't want to keep trying to target the same corridors i feel like we have these favorite corridors in the district and i'm also <laughs> like i said i'm a man of the people and everything about me i want the people to be involved in so i'm going to propose the idea of what it looks like and i want the people to vote on what it what it actually is i want to host we as a city councilman, I will host a town hall meeting where we have our our citizens come in and be a part of that planning process. I have an idea of Davon Reader's business hub, but I don't want it to look like just mine. I want it to be the far east side's business hub. So just as a point of reference, um, what 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 favorite corridors are you referring to? Uh, the Je- Jefferson, the Mac area. I, I think we need some love over here on the Outer Drive and uh and Gratiot area. So who's, uh, loving, who's loving Mac? Which which city official is loving Mac? Maybe you can point them to me so I can figure that out. I thought I was like, you know, none of not started to work on Mac Avenue in 2016, and we have not. <laughs> well, when I was still at ECM, we have been unsuccessful in really having a champion in the city. For- I think. I think when it comes to development, though, we get those common street names, and oftentimes, and I, I guess this is me. This yeah, is. I don't think Mac is in that conversation. I, I think. I think it, it. It. Do a little bit more listening, because we're trying to get Mac. Um, and it, you know, Mac was looked at as when Mac and Warren, when Warren was being planned, Mac was seen as in the way. They didn't want us planning for Mac because they were planning for Warren. I think Warren is a favorite. Mac, yeah, Warren's a favorite. 
Jefferson is a targeted area by the city of Detroit. So is East Warren. Uh, so is East Warren, and so is um, but but Grash Matthew Seven Mile. Grash mm -hmm. Seven Mile. There's there's love there, but we're not getting love everywhere. So I'm just interested. I think that we probably need one more than one hub. You know, every business counts. Every business matters. And when we decide these are the businesses on the streets that matter, and the people who live in adjacent to these areas are the ones that we care about, that means somebody else doesn't. And to me, it's that targeting of resources and this decision-making that we have to choose. I'm old enough to remember when people did not choose which streets to care about in Detroit. It was a, here's a commercial <laughs> district and we care about you. We should have a hub on every corridor maybe, you know? Yeah. So I, I just want to expand that thinking because it's almost as though targeting has become the norm and the common sense way to get business done. And, I, and like I said before, those, this is one of the times where I just zip my mouth and I learn and I'm going to, I'm going to do some research, but I, I, I have a military mindset, so I'm coming in with smart goals, realistic. So me to say, I want to build 10 business hubs and it's just not something that I want to overpromise and I can't deliver. As city council person, you can't build a, a single business hub, right? City council is a legislative body. What city council can do is allow for, create legislation around certain things, but it's the mayor of the city who decides where things go in most instances. Definitely. So I think that that's important also to understand the role of city council. And it's really community development organizations like mine and many others, you and I, I'm still, I work with Christine Bell on a regular basis. We're the ones, and a lot of times who are trying to figure out how to make a way out of no way, even when government, because that's what we always hear from Mayor Duggan, I don't want to overpromise. I don't have an equitable housing strategy because I don't want to promise anything I can't do. So now you're saying your military background makes you not want to overpromise, and I am so tired of people not wanting to make promises to people. I think, overpromising I think when you're running, when you're running a campaign, this is the time to be big and audacious. Definitely, but not in the sense of not like a, a fear of overpromising, but uh, uh, being a realistic, having a realistic approach to everything. Right, I hear you. Realism seems to be. We can't do um, it's austerity in poor neighborhoods and the checkbook is open in the rich neighborhoods. And unless we say that, you know, um, that, that reality needs to be bigger than that, we're in trouble. Really nice to meet you um, and to talk to you. And I'm so sorry I have to leave. It's okay. Thank you. It was nice meeting you too. And I'm still a fan, even though, even after the interview. <laughs> So, you know, I, I have a couple of I have a couple more questions. Um, I, I was going to say real fast, though, Orlando, because even though you don't have the power to do things at city council, I think it's important that we remember that in position of power, you have influence as well. So we have yeah. that influence to where where development can happen and what it looks like and who who is a part of that development. And that's my mindset as well. I don't want to go in saying like, oh, yeah, I know that I have the power to do this because you don't have a lot of power to do a lot of things and it just simply relies on influence and i think a lot of our city city officials forget that sometimes yeah and but you know in in how it is languished on the website i think that could confuse uh the citizen a little bit when you say uh words like build a a business hub and so uh there i think there is room to uh become a bit more granular by uh, letting us know what you really, you know, what you really yeah, mean. I got you. I um, let me ask you this question. You said earlier that you had, you're from the military, so you have this military mind. And so 
being associated with the military, uh, you know, a form of law enforcement, uh, access to militaristic equipment. What is your stance on public safety in the city of Detroit? And do you support uh, defunding the police in order to invest in other areas of the community that could help and assist uh, in curbing violence? So my stance is, I am I am for defunding the police, not in the literal term of defunding. I think we need to reallocate funds and look at where we are putting our funds in the uh, policing budget. I know that the mayor was proposing that we uh, do $50 million of the American Rescue Plan money to uh, rebuild a police training facility. I'm absolutely against that plan. I think that is a horrible idea. We could put $50 million towards mental health specialists and mental health practicing in our policing. Um, and then I also would like to say, when it comes to public safety, it's not just policing. I think our issue is that we don't have the, um, the, the, the social services in our community that we need. For example, mental health. We, we need more mental health facilities and uh, practices in our everyday life in our city. If this last year, and I say this all the time, this last year haven't taught us anything, everybody goes through mental health problems. If, if our head's not okay, nothing else will be okay. So I'm for reallocating funding to more mental health practices in our policing. Um, definitely think we need more places for our youth to play. And again, I know this is a big issue in this race, our, we, don't have no recreational center. we don't have a rec. We don't have a recreation center. If we don't have somewhere safe for our kids to play, it, it's just, it's, it's, we're setting them up for failure. Because we know as kids, being kids ourselves, when you get bored, that's when your mind starts to wonder, you do crazy things. And we just need to make sure that we are, we're giving them somewhere safe. And recreation center serves as pillars of our community. I remember all the time when I was young, my mom would go to the rec to find out job openings or uh, get help, get help with filling out for food stamps or things like that. So it's other purposes that our recreational centers can serve. So I'm for a 360 of our public safety. We need a we need to revamp public safety in Detroit. Got it. Do you believe that there should be reparative policy for residents in the city of Detroit who lost their home to over assessments? No, all those houses that we talk about the Detroit Land Bank is just holding. <laughs> Yeah. Give them away. Give them to those citizens. Um, they show them they they if they prove that they are they can be homeowners and they lost it because something that was out of their control. It's some we we need to we need to be accountable for that. I I think it's time for the city officials to come and say, hey, we messed up, and we're going to fix our mistake. Whether that's a tax credit, whether that's a refund in general, or if that's just giving another house, giving them a, another property. Mm. Talk about your your vision with for like working with the nonprofit community development com, uh, community. Donna was talking about some of the nonprofits that show love to areas that aren't always targeted mm -hmm. uh, by government and sort of feeling, you know, filling in the gap in those areas. Uh, what does, you know, your, your public partnership plan look like? I, I wouldn't even call it a, a, a partnership because I think I, I, as a city councilman, as an elected official, I'm simply supposed to be the voice of the people and the people are the grassroots organizations and the grassroots organizers. So I, I think it will be a, tran a transparent, what, 
what do you want to see? And this is what it's going to look like. I'm going to be, I'm going to promise to be accessible to all citizens. I'm not going to have that. I'm city councilman. You can't go through my secretary. No, I, I don't want to have that relationship. I never had that relationship. Even as a lieutenant, I would still get out and, and go get in the dirt with my soldiers so they can know like, hey, I'm here for you. And I feel like that's the job of a leader is to be, be there for, for everybody. And if I had to say partnership, it's going to be a hand-to-hand -hand thing. It's hand washing, the other hand washing the other hand. And that's as simple as that. I can't, I wouldn't be me without the community organizations in District 4 or the community period in District 4. So I'm not going to get there and forget about who elected me. Because like you said, this is a, a vicious campaign and I can't forget who helped me be, be who I am, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. Davon Reeder, candidate for the District 4 City Council seat. Thank you so much for your time today, Davon. Thank you for putting me in a hot seat. I enjoy it. <laughs> no, but I really did have a good time talking to you guys. And I, I, I listen, every time I get to have a conversation, I just feel like I'm going out of it learning more. And that's what I love about your platform. Even listening to episodes of, okay, I'm, I'm learning something every time. I'm always like, let me take note of that. Let me go look at what this is. So thank you for having me. I appreciate you for giving me this platform. No, absolutely, absolutely. We are committed to making sure that we interview all of the candidates who are running in District 4 is where Eastside Community Network lives and Eastside Community Network powers this podcast. And so uh, good luck to you and the campaign. So if you have topics that you want discussed on Authentically Detroit, you can hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Authentically Detroit, or you can email us at authenticallydetroit.com. Got a quick shout out. I want to shout out my colleagues at Bridge Detroit and Detroit Public Television. We uh, got word at the beginning of the podcast that we have uh, received um, a excellent, <laughs> a professional journalism excellence award for our series on American Black Journal, um, do Black Lives Matter in America? Um, I don't know if we announced this on the podcast, but we are also up for Emmy. I am Emmy nominated, so we will find that out. Uh, and uh, Eastside Community Network has launched its campaign to help finance the new wellness hub that uh, is named for our late friend and partner, Marlo Stoudemire, the Stoudemire Wellness Hub. You can learn more about that at ecn-detroit.org. And you can learn more about the partnership between Detroit Public Television and Bridge Detroit at bridgedetroit.com. Thank you so much. We want you to check out uh, Davon's website at davonreader.com. That's D-A-I-V-O-N, reader, R-E-E-D-E-R.com to learn more about him and to reach out to him if you Please. choose to do so. We thank you all so much for listening. We want you to catch the wave. We'll see you next time. <laughs>